Welcome back to the Finding Homes podcast with Home for Good. We're here with a shared passion to find more individuals, couples, and families in the Black community who could be fantastic adoptive parents or foster carers to the many children who are waiting in care today. We've established that there's a great need, but choosing to grow our families through adoption is not the same as growing them biologically. In this episode, we look at some of the reality of what it means to welcome a child into your home and family who's had a difficult start in life. I'm David Grant, and I'm joined again today by Bernadette Heron from the adoptive team in Buckinghamshire Council and by the CEO of Home for Good, Tan. Hello. So we said in the introduction about the fact that growing a family through adoption and you are the adopted mother of, of two boys, is different to actually having a biological family. Tan, in your experience, what's the difference? Whilst any family of any makeup, biological or otherwise, can have challenges once children are born and then to begin to meet or not their developmental milestones, what we find in the adoptive and foster space is that the children who've entered the care system are far more likely to have acute and complex needs than biological children born into a typical, that's the word we use, not normal, typical family construct, whereby there may not be any um, uh, what cause, is called adverse childhood experiences that then cause trauma. Children who enter into care, David, the very nature of them even being taken from their biological construct and placed into a family who are not biologically theirs, that in and of itself is an adverse childhood experience that creates trauma. So all children in the care system have either experienced trauma, abuse or neglect. I fostered my two uh, adopted children. I fostered them first and then what was called with concurrent adoption. And I knew by reading their, their reports that they were from a biological family whereby there had been intergenerational trauma and intergenerational challenges with both learning disabilities, but as well as cyclical addiction uh, across the family. Also, my children are fourth generation care experienced. So that means that my children's great grandmother was herself in care. And if you sort of chart that back uh, in terms of sort of family um, tree or lineation of family, um, actually my children's family were the first to enter into the care system when it was first established in the 1940s and 50s. So that's great grandparents and grandparents and parents. Grandparents. While in care. What impact does that kind of trauma have on a child? Yeah. Now, it's a very tangible thing, trauma. Mm -hmm. And the trauma that my boys have experienced isn't just intergenerational, and we can go into that more if we have time, but it is directly associated for both of my children with what's called in utero experience. Mm -hmm. So the trauma that my boys carry is an impact on their brain development whilst in womb, because biological mum herself was within a very chaotic life experience at the time she was pregnant. Let me just say, 
due to her life experiences having been in womb with an individual who was dealing with chaotic life experiences. Who before that, and, and you can see where we're going with this, yeah, right? Absolutely, yes. So when I talk about my children's biological mum in particular with my children, I talk about her with such compassion to my children that we always navigate the conversation around the what must that have been like for my children's mum, but also the environment in which she would have grown up and the sadness she would have felt as an individual. So I know this is sounding complex, but this again is something so important that as we try and take these difficult conversations and actually place them in real-time conversations, encouraging people to foster and adopt, what we are wanting to do is to be realistic with what we are uh, talking about and so that people know what they need to skill up with in terms of that um, uh, understanding of what these children in the care system experience and therefore what gets outworked in the homes in which they enter, i.e. the foster homes and the adoptive homes that children from care enter. We just assume, some of us, but because they're now in this loving, safe and stable home, dun, 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 all is well. Yeah. And my boys, as I've shared, I fostered them and then went on to concurrently adopt. And I still have regular conversations, David, where people say, oh, how old were yours? I said, well, Charlie was seven days and Mac was 13 months when they came to join me. And they go, oh, well, they must all be all right now then because they didn't really go through very much, did they? And it's a very difficult conversation to navigate when what you want to try and explain is, A, four generations of intergenerational trauma, in utero trauma that meant that there is actual brain damage due to high levels of toxicity in womb, and then experiences that they live in day in, day out because of that brain neurology due to fetal alcohol syndrome, both my boys have to navigate daily trauma because they cannot uh, regulate themselves in the way that typical children can. They both have ADHD and are medicated. They both, particularly the older one, has learning disabilities. But these are the realities of the trauma and their respective impacts that it has on families who we're placing children with. So with regard to the trauma, we're talking about brain development, additional needs. We're talking about behavioral challenges. Does that affect the way that we parent children who are adopted in comparison to birth children? Should it be particularly different? In my opinion, yes. And I've been now skin in the game now for a decade. I live life very closely with other families and they see and experience and share everything. Us with them, them with us. They have biological children, and I'm one of the few in my community that has adopted children. And I have to navigate through something called therapeutic parenting, which means that due to my children's conditions and disabilities, they both have a diagnosis of something called ODD, which is oppositional defiance disorder. Now, this means that because they have been... Uh, from in-womb navigating hypervigilance. They have been 
having increased levels of cortisol right from the moment of conception, that that means that they are far more alert to dangers that are around them, are, were aware that there was something that, that they were nervous about, however much you how can a child in a womb be feeling anxiety about something? Well, if a child is going through a withdrawal because the biological parent is not having access to alcohol or whatever it might be that is bringing them a sense of calm, cortisol in the womb, we now know, has a devastating impact, lifelong impact on children born with high levels of cortisol in the womb. So, wow. Well, yeah. Can you tell us some yeah. of the impact that that has? So that can look like, for my son, like the smallest of noises, he would suddenly be hyper alert on. He can wake in the middle of the night, hear a noise outside that no one else would have heard or registered. He will wake up bright and alert and say, what was that? And I will need to find the source of the noise. Or if I can't, I will find something. So, oh, I can see that was a cat that must have jumped on the dustbin, darling. Or, right, to create a safe narrative for him. So hypervigilance is one of those key areas. But, but talking about the oppositional defiance disorder, I believe this in part is due to him having such a high need to be in control where he has felt so out of control in early life experiences, if you give Mac an explicit instruction, do not do, he will find a reason why he should. Because it's about him wanting to control the life and the experience and the environment in which he's in. So therapeutic parenting, David, looks like this. Mac, you've got a choice of either this or this. Which would you like to choose? Now, you make those two options. Both are the things that you ultimately wish as the parent to see done or be done. But it's, a, do you want blue pants today, darling, or red pants instead of put your pants on? No. Do you want blue pants or red pants? I want blue pants. He's made a decision for himself and he puts on his pants. Now, this can also be utterly exhausting for him and me. However, by learning as a parent the therapeutic approaches to how we can help children who've got neurodiversity, then we can be the type of parents that the children who do carry trauma will need to help them navigate it. So we've already established from Tan that actually this isn't Disney and that many of the children that come into the care system, in fact, most of them will have experienced some kind of trauma. So Bernadette, does race in any way add to this or is this in an additional issue along with the trauma that children might be suffering? I think that the race could be an additional issue along with the trauma that they're suffering if it's not managed well. We had spoken in one of the other podcasts about the fact that um, racism now is being identified as a trauma. Um, and so it's the same with, as, as Tan was just uh, discussing with the therapeutic parenting, there's ways to address the racism that a child might encounter in order to bring about a positive sense of self and self-esteem. So there's just many, that's just one of the many things that is a factor for these children. When you are looking to adopt a child or when you're looking to put a child in, into the system to find a home, to find a permanent home, is it essential that you're able to discuss with potential adoptive parents 
the situations that may have caused trauma, not just the trauma itself, not just the outworking, but what's behind it. So that when they come into a family, the parents of that family have as complete a picture as possible of why the child that they're bringing in is as they are. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, we're very open and honest. All the professionals that are working with the adopted um, family are very open and honest about the background of the children because, you know, we're here to support the child and to access the support that the child might need. So everybody needs to understand that child's journey. One of the other things that we do within our preparation to adopt is that we discuss therapeutic parenting. We bring adopters in so they can they can speak to the prospective doctors um, about issues that they may have faced. We talk about therapeutic language, and Tarnis right. Sometimes it sounds it, it, it sounds very different, and we speak to the extended families of adopters as well, and we say you might actually recognise and that your family member is talking to their child very differently parenting them very differently because it has to be specific it's got to be deliberate it's therapeutic parenting and it does work and that's also why it's so important that if you're in a church community supporting you with fostering and adoption that the church is equipped as well because if that's the community in which you're growing your family within you're raising your children within to have other people be able to use the same structure strategy and approach when you then see that reflected and amplified around all of those that are in your life, it becomes a powerful thing. And it also becomes an incredibly safe place for our children. Yes, absolutely. Um, I remember in, in a podcast two of this that Simon was saying that for him, having a church community made all the difference with regard to him beginning to have some kind of sense of, of self and his own personal significance. So you're absolutely right. The, the greater the community, the larger the number of people are who understand you, understand your story and why your parenting has to be bespoke, it, the better. Absolutely. Because it's, it's a privilege, isn't it? It is. And I think, you know, we encourage our adopters to train their family, mm. you know, the, the, the research that they're undertaking, the books that they're reading, pass those on to their family members as well. So the, the family members get an understanding of trauma. This is great because this emphasizes once again that you're not just looking for parents. You're saying that when parents become mm -hmm. a child enters into a community. Absolutely. A village. It takes a village. I'm delighted to be joined in this final part of our time together by Millie Sentume, who is the senior social worker in post-order support team in Buckinghamshire. Millie, thank you so much for joining us and, and being willing to share your experience with us today. Can you briefly explain to us what the post-order support team is and what you do for those who've adopted? Thank you, David. Uh, thank you for having me. Right, the post-order support team is a team that provides continuous support to our doctors after they've completed the um, assessment process. And um, the purpose of that, we, there is a clear understanding that our doctors and their families will need some support at some point. It could be practical support, it could be emotional support because of their children's experiences. So this team is set up to provide that continuous support. Earlier, Tan mentioned therapeutic parenting, which is something that you're an expert in. What exactly is it and what effect does it have? 
So therapeutic parenting is a highly nurturing approach of parenting with empathy at the core of uh, your, your parenting. And it is an approach where you're seeking to understand what is perhaps going on for your child. You're seeking to get so close to your child as opposed to giving them, for example, time out to go and think about what's going on. You're sitting beside your child to try and understand what could perhaps be going on for them. And you're trying to seek to support them regulate. Um, and it could be, for example, there are various models out there. Uh, one of the most common models used is the PACE model, which is uh, stands for playfulness, acceptancy, um, empathy, and curiosity. So you're trying, you, you can't be playful in your approach. Uh, for, I'll give, a, for example, a scenario where you, you have a six-year-old uh, you're planning to go out for a play day. He's aware of this. But as you're trying to step out, the child then goes under the table and you're there wondering what could be going on for your child. So in your approach, it could be that you go and sit beside your child and try, for example, sit beside them and say, I wonder what could be going on. So you're curious to find out what could be going on for your child. And um, you're empathizing with them. I can't see you're upset. I wonder what you could be, what, why you are upset. And it could be playful in that. It could say, well, I wonder how long it will take for someone to come and find us down here. In that, for a child who's already upset, you're supporting them, sort of feel you're interested in what could perhaps be going on for them. Um, you are supporting them regulate. And in, while you, whilst you're there, you could, have, you could start having a conversation and through that, they could perhaps tell you what could be going on for them, um, which then you can support them and that would help calm the situation. Now, if a parent is adopting where you are in Buckinghamshire and they, and, and they hear about therapeutic parenting, they think PACE or, or NVR and, and think, I want to learn this. Can they? Do you show adoptive parents? Will you teach them? So as part of, this is what my, 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 my team does, which is the post-order support. We provide a lot of support for our doctors. And part of that is uh, therapeutic parenting training. Um, yes, so that training can be available through, and you, can, it could be, you could be part of a group that attends that training, or it could be one-to-one -one support where we, we have a therapist who can come work with you as a household uh, looking at uh, therapeutic parenting strategies that you could use to um, to support your child. Uh, but alongside therapeutic parenting, we provide a variety of other supports uh, for our doctors. Uh, we offer uh, specialist workshops, and that could, uh, workshops include um, life story workshops that we support our parents, um, support their children, understand their journey in an age um, and uh, age-appropriate and sensitive way. Um, we provide contact workshops, um, the contact which is, uh, again, to support our parents, um, facilitate contact with birth families because it is important for to keep that connection. So in those workshops, we'll explain the importance of um, contact and the support available for them. Uh, we offer... Um, support around education uh, of obviously children coming into um, your care. You might not know about 
what is available there as any support and for your child to access the right support to support their development. So we have a colleague from virtual school who provide who provides education consultations. There are different models of family. You know, we have, say, for instance, in, in my model of family, which is birth children alongside adopted children. In Tan's model of family is two adopted children. Do you think that in the raising of children who you adopt, that it matters whether you have children or not? Would you would you prefer it that people who were adopting children didn't have birth children or or is it does it not make a difference? It it does not make a difference in my humble opinion. And I, I feel what is important is to support your family before you think of adoption, support your family, particularly your children, understand why why you feel you you wish to adopt yes. and let them be part of that process as opposed to not because then it helps them to to embrace the child who is being adopted which is really important thank you so much millie i just want to open this to, to bernadette and tan as well millie has spoken about the world of support that's available if you're not living in Buckinghamshire, is this support also available? Well, I'll go for that one because uh, I'm currently in a uh, a London borough mm -hmm. um, and it has taken me some considerable time to um, seek support from what's called the Adoption Support Fund. Mm -hmm. And um, the reason for that is because some local authorities are really stretched at the moment in terms of both their budgets and therefore the numbers of staff that they have within their social services teams. And you can't access the Adoption Support Fund other than via your, uh, uh, what's uh, my language is post-adoption support worker, but I'm now hearing the language of post-order uh, social worker. And I would probably imagine, David, that that is just going to be relatively common across some boroughs in this country. So it's uneven? I think it is probably uneven. Whilst I have a brilliant post-adoption support worker, I'm really mindful of the caseloads that she carries. Mm. And outside of my own personal experience, I am aware that for particularly adoptive parents, it can feel as though support is reduced once a child is then placed within that permanent environment at home. By the very nature of fostering, the child is still in part, um, the local authority has parental responsibility along with the foster carer and yes. indeed the biological family. So it's my opinion that potentially foster children in the system do access care more swiftly mm -hmm. than adoptive children and their respective families do. But I am the first to acknowledge the pressure that our social workers in this country are under is significant. But therefore, I would say it is a bit of a postcode lottery, David. With adopting or fostering, why, Bernadette, is a support network particularly important? I think we've, we've heard, haven't we, over the last few podcasts, the, the phrase, it takes a village. We've heard about communities. We've heard a lot about the strength that's within communities. And let's face it, as parents, we need support. Mm -hmm. uh, we need that practical support. We need that emotional support. We need to be able to turn to others for guidance. And so one of the things that we do look at quite strongly, actually, 
when we're assessing adopters, is their support network. When they're having those difficult days where, you know, you've had enough of therapeutic um, language and therapeutic parenting and you just need a break. Who's going to be there? Who's going to understand your children enough to step in and, and, and take over? So, yes, I would say a support network is really important. Um, it does take a village to raise a child. If they're listening and they're thinking, this is what I want to get involved in. I want to find out what the next step could be. What do you advise them to do? Please ring. Please ring us. Please ring Home for Good. We have an incredible team of people who will be able to journey together with you, to listen to any concerns you may have, to chart the way forward. We've also got some incredible training courses that you can go on with then other people being on that same course at the same part of the journey that you're on. Um, and it also means that we can then talk with you to find out whether or not we can refer you to a local authority, an adoption agency, whatever it might be, so that we can connect you to the right person for the next stage for what is right. Um, we would also say as well that we're very, very keen just to learn from people and experiences too. And we acknowledge that together as the village, we consider ourselves as part of the village, that it's this collective conversation, which is why we're doing these podcasts, is where there's power. Because the minute you take out confusion and that you put in real, honest conversation and debate, it means that there's no question that's off the table. And so at Home for Good, we want to embrace all of the questions, the difficult ones, the joyous ones, in order that we can find a home for every child who needs one in the care system in the United Kingdom. Tan Bright, Bernadette Heron, with this sent to me. Thank you. In our final episode, we hear from Basina about her experiences with her adopted child, Kai. We've asked her to speak not about the specifics of Kai's early birth, but really following on from the fact that we've heard that every adoptive or foster child will have gone through some element of trauma. What that trauma's been like for her, for Kai, how they've lived with it, the challenges they've faced, and the triumphs, achievements, and milestones that they've passed. Basina, thank you so much for joining us. Basina, tell us the story of how you came to adopt. So the, the story goes right back to my own background. So I'm a foster care kid myself. And, um, you know, I, I was always very aware, even as a young teen, that it was something I wanted to do. Um, I think my parents were so ahead of their time, not perfect at all, but they gave me something which I, I, I thought, actually, I need to give back some of this. And so when it's like, when I got older and I was like, yeah, no, thinking about family, I always thought adoption was part of that. It was, and actually I was one of those women, but I, I wasn't, if I couldn't have kids, I don't think I was really sort of like uh caught up on the whole idea of pregnancy and stuff I was caught up on the whole idea of adoption um so when I met my husband uh that was really one of the main things that I said to him it's just like you know this is what I want to do if, if you're not on board or open to it then it's not going to happen he was on board that was fine that was very much his heart and so it was 
really question of when, not if. And we got married, we had two birth children, and we would talk to those to those two about adoption or fostering. And and so when our youngest um was three, um, the way things happened in our life, we ended up adopting our eldest and he came to us when he was six. And we knew we weren't completely complete in, in a crazy way. Um, and so a few years later, we went back and adopted our fourth child. And that felt like, okay, our family's complete and we're done. We're done. <laughs> Basina, tell us some of the challenges that you've faced. Yeah. Challenges have been really different. So we adopted a girl and we adopted a boy. And I think um, there are similar challenges, but there are also different challenges based on culture, based on gender. Um, based on age of them coming to you as well and so you know you know there have been a lot of challenges Um, some very light some quite heavy and quite traumatic in some ways but you know I think it's understanding when you walk into this you must walk into adoption with your eyes wide open and it's not about fear all of a sudden we had to kind of like adjust the way we parented in a lot of ways um you know, and then with our daughter, you know, even things down to hygiene and periods and things like that, that also comes with real challenges and within schools, you know, unwanted behaviour, which is deemed not normal or too extreme when actually what they're judged by is the, this is the normal way of behaving for every child that has a stable home. When we're saying, but this child is displaying normal behaviour because of their background. So there's a lot of sort of like having to get behind your child and fight for them. But at the same time, standing in front of your child and helping them and directing them and challenging them and correcting them, shall I say. What's been helpful to you going through this? And what have you learned as a result of the journey that you and Kai have taken? I've learned how to be so real with with my emotions, with my uh, inner circle, um, and um, people who just get it. And there's no, I've just dropped the facade of what is. This is one thing I've really learned. What is a, a good enough parent? Somebody answer that for me, because there is. I am a good enough parent for my children. I was called to it. I have parented them in the best way I can. And this whole thing that holds people in like this, I'm doing it wrong or I've failed in this. Yeah, we all fail. We all go down that path, but it's what you do with it. So I've really learned how to challenge myself of you've just got to let it go now and you've got to get up and you've got to start again the next day. Listen, my, these, they, particularly my doctor children have pulled out I'm not patient and I'm not this and I'm not that. And again, it's there. So what do I do about that? You know, I think helpful um, things have been really establishing the support network that we're really taught in adoption classes. When we did our adoption class, you know, we were like, well, we've got good friends. You know, what are they really, why are they banging on so hard about this support network? And then I realised, oh, my goodness yes that support network is one of the things that have kept us going people who um will just come and 
take the child for me, who I really trust. Also helpful is like really having something outside of the home and so that you are still filling up who you are as an individual, that you're not just mum, you're not just wife or girlfriend or partner, you're not just single mum who has adopted, you know, or single dad that has adopted. You are so much more than that. Yes, that's part of you. But in terms of to keep your sanity and to be able to keep your freshness, to be able to keep your vitality and um, and also direction and um, joy as well, meet with those friends. Go and have that star day. You know, go for your daily walks. Do something that is who you are and that you need to hold on to that because there are dark periods as well as the great periods. But in the dark periods, you need to be holding on to something so much more than I'm a mum or I'm a dad and and this is my life. Tell us something that you're celebrating about your child, something that's maybe different from the standard milestones. You know, it's it's really interesting. The question, what are you celebrating about your children? Now, for many parents, it would be something like, oh, they've just got this award or they've just managed to do this or achieve that or whatever. We celebrate with our particularly our youngest. She comes to rich. She picked up her clothes. She came to us and displayed some empathy. She came to us and actually talked something through before acting or being impulsive. And honestly, those are real achievements in our household. But this is years worth of us having to, like, this is what you do. This is how you make a cup of tea. So she's been making Phil a cup of tea lately in the morning one to get on his good vibe i think <laughs> you know she's very good at that but also you know she made a cup of tea closed the fridge closed the door and took the tea bag out it's amazing oh my goodness really truly amazing um you know so she's the youngest and we've still got a lot of years left um our eldest he came to us when he was six he's now 24 when he came to us he was um so far behind academically they could not level um, he was so full in his mind with all the emotional damage that had gone on. And, you know, it was it was a hard journey. Um, but he went to university. One of the things we celebrated with him was that he began to dream of what he wanted to do. When he came to us, he just, he couldn't. He, he just couldn't see that far. And so as some of the emotional damage had been sifted through and sorted through and put in its place, he actually began to see his work and what he wanted to do and where he wanted to go. That boy graduated for the first. That, I mean, I've just got goosebumps all over, you know, and lots of people are like, oh, that's And I'm like, no, we directed him, we supported him, Yes, we're part of that journey, but he had to do the work. Thank you so much for joining us for this mini-series. We've been drawn together by a shared passion to find a home for good for children who are out there waiting and to make you consider whether they could be waiting for you. Thank you.